Tonight's reading is from 1 John chapter 5 and verses 18 to 21. Um, it's in the, the Bibles in the seats. It's page 1228. 1 John chapter 5 and starting at verse 18. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps him safe and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are the children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know who him who is true. And we are in him who is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. This is the word of the Lord. Let me um, just pray for us before we look at these uh, verses. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and that you speak to us through it. We pray that as we look at these final few verses in John tonight, it would continue to reassure us about what we already know and that it would uh, equip us to keep from uh, what is false. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder if you've ever had somebody uh, try, to sell, to try to sell you something that you know is fake. Uh, imagine for a moment uh, you're in the diamond trade. Okay, bit of an upgrade for some of us, perhaps. Uh, and one day, uh, you speak to a man who wants to sell you a diamond. Uh, he tells you that he's got one that is worth an awful lot of money. And he assures you that if you invest, uh, if you buy it, uh, you can sell it on uh, and make a bag load more. But before you invest, obviously, you want to see it, don't you? And so he shows you uh, this diamond. Now, not most, pe most people uh, wouldn't know if the stone you had in your hand was real uh, or fake. It's, spark it's a sparkly stone. It looks like a diamond. Uh, but you've got a very big advantage because you're an expert. You already know uh, something about real diamonds. And so you know how to spot a fake one. You know that when you breathe on a real diamond, uh, it won't fug up. I know that because Google tells me it. But when you breathe on this diamond and it fogs up, you instantly know that it's a fake. And so what do you do? Well, you keep your wallet safely in your pocket, don't you? Because you know what's real, uh, you can spot what's fake, and it means you avoid making a very, very costly investment. Now, that is what John wants us to do as Christians. He wants us to know what is real, so we can spot what's fake and avoid making an eternally costly decision. Re replace that fake diamond uh, with a fake Christianity and a fake God. That is what uh, this group of false teachers that we've been hearing about week after week were trying to sell to the church. They were trying to sell a false message uh, about a fake God, and it was unsettling the Christians. It was leaving them a little confused about what real Christianity looked like. And so they were becoming a little unsure. 
They were unsure uh, what real Christianity looked like. They were unsure what, well, whether they were perhaps Christians. And they were unsure about whether they even knew God at all. And so John's writing this letter to them to assure them that through what they've heard from the apostles about Jesus, they already know what Christianity is about. They know already that they're real Christians. And through Jesus, they already know that they have fellowship with God. They have eternal life. And this passage right at the end of 1 John is his final reminder, if you like, of those things. So the church avoids following some kind of fake Christianity with a fake God that's going to rob them of eternal life. And there are three things. You probably spotted them. There are three things. This isn't just a sermon with three things. There are actually three things that John says we need to remember. He says three times, we know, we know, we know, at the start of verse 18, 19, and 20. And so we need to look at what we know. He's reminding us to remember what we already know so that we can avoid following this fake Christianity and this false God. So, under a little heading, remember what you already know. There are three things, and the first one is this. Remember what you already know. You already know Christians don't continue to sin. Christians don't continue to sin. Have a look back at verse 18 with me again. He says, we know that everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. John's telling us about real Christianity, the real Christian life, and he says Christians do not continue to sin. Now, John doesn't mean that real Christians completely stop sinning, and that suddenly, uh, with a click of a finger, they become a perfectly sinless person. He's already said in chapter 1, hasn't he, uh, that we do sin, and sometimes we will sin, and we need to repent of it. In fact, if we say we don't have any sin as a Christian, uh, we're deceiving ourselves, we're kidding ourselves. And it's clear in the rest of the Old Testament that a Christian does not suddenly reach some, reach some kind of sinless perfection. Paul says that the Christian life is like an ongoing battle with sin, rather than sin just stopping and going away altogether. So what John is saying is that Christians cannot comfortably continue living with sin. The Christian life is incompatible with a sinful life. Now, I don't know if you've been looking at Christmas presents yet. I came across something called a snuggle jumper. Apparently, snuggle jumpers are becoming increasingly popular. What a snuggle jumper is, is essentially a big, cuddly, woolen jumper with two holes for heads, so that two people can get into it, snuggle up on the sofa, and cozy up together. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, that sounds like a fun idea. Or you might be thinking, like me, that sounds pretty ridiculous and pretty impractical. Both of you have got to go to get a drink, or worse, to the loo. You can decide what you think of it. But the false teachers in John's day were teaching a kind of snuggle jumper Christianity. They were saying that Christians could snuggle up comfortably with sin. 
they could live together in harmony. Their message, of course, as, as we've heard, comes from a false idea of God. It's fake. They believed in a God that thought that what you did with your body was bad. In fact, your body was bad. And only our spirit mattered. That's all God was concerned about, which meant that lots of people lived as though what they did with their body, well, it really didn't matter. Of course it wouldn't matter if God didn't care about it. And so there were people who were claiming to be Christians, but they really couldn't see a problem with sin in their lives. They didn't see a problem with having sex outside of God's guidelines or drinking too much. Uh, They were fine with gossiping about other people and quietly putting them down behind their backs. Not a problem. They were comfortable uh, sat watching TV programs, films, internet videos, uh, which planted and fed unhelpful, ungodly thoughts. They talked a lot about worship at their church on Sunday. But their behavior during the rest of the week indicated a serious lack of concern for sin in their life. And perhaps they said of people who did take sin seriously that they were boring, they were restrictive, they were outdated. But John's already taught us, hasn't he, that even if somebody, sorry, that even if somebody claims to be a Christian but denies sin as a problem, well, they're kidding themselves. They're fooling themselves. They're living in a made-up world thinking sin is okay. And it's because they're living with a made-up God who thinks sin is okay. The temptation for us is to go along with a snuggle-jumper kind of Christianity. You might be uh, tempted, I don't know, to go to another church down the road, perhaps, which doesn't talk so much about sin or about the cross. Or perhaps uh, you don't change church, but you hang around with people at church who, well, they're a little bit more relaxed about sin. And they don't pick you up on some of the things that you might be doing wrong. They don't correct you. Or perhaps you, you tend to avoid the person who might say something to you about things you're doing in your life. As a little um, side note, it's worth saying the best Christian friends are the ones who do lovingly pick you up on sin and encourage you to fight it rather than snuggle up with it. But we're tempted, aren't we, to, to buy into this snuggle jumper Christianity and the God behind it because if we're honest, we actually quite like it, don't we? You might not like the idea of a snuggle jumper, but snuggling up with sin, that's, that's something else. But that's not real Christianity. And John says, you know that. You know that Christians cannot cuddle up comfortably with sin. In fact, you know it because sin is such a problem, isn't it? Jesus had to die on a cross to take the punishment for it so that we could have fellowship with God. And you know, don't you, that Jesus' message when he came was to repent of sin, to turn away from it, not to carry on with it. Now, as I've thought this uh, week about this, this kind of snuggle jumper Christianity, if you like, uh, is actually a crossless Christianity. Because if sin doesn't matter, well, you don't need a cross. You don't need somebody to die in your place so you can have friendship with God. And if sin doesn't matter, well, why don't you just live 
however the heck you want to. John says, you know, Christians can't keep sinning. There's something uncomfortable about it. If Jesus, sorry, if Jesus is Lord, you can't comfortably, persistently keep on snuggling up with sin. Paul says, it's a battle, an ongoing battle. Now, like any battle, uh, we can, of course, feel at times as though we're not making any progress. I don't know about you, sometimes we can even seem as though sin or the devil is winning. Perhaps you're experiencing that at the moment. Well, look at what John assures us of in the second part of verse 18. He says to the Christian that he who was born of God, he's talking about Jesus, protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. Jesus himself promises to keep us safe. When I was um, at university, I was walking back, I think I was walking back from church one evening uh, through Reading. Uh, it, was, it was quite late. I think we'd been uh, to the pub for a drink, some of us. Uh, and I was on my own, and this uh, guy approached me, uh, and he confronted me, and he tried to mug me. Uh, I remember him grabbing my wrist and holding on to it, and I think he said something like, I'm going to give you a cigarette, and you're going to give me your wallet. And I said stupidly, that doesn't seem like a fair deal. <laughs> and then I thought, this isn't good. <laughs> you should have kept your mouth shut. Because no one else was around, and it certainly felt like he had me in his grasp. And I wasn't sure how dangerous this guy was. And so you can imagine how reassured I was when three really big guys, built like rugby players, came around the corner, realized what was going on, and they came over to help me. I knew at that point I was going to be all right. I was safe. And this guy wasn't going to touch me. And he, he released his grip. He went home. And I went home with my student wallet, which didn't have anything in it anyway. <laughs> but what Jesus says here is much more reassuring than what I experienced. Jesus says he protects us from the devil to the point where he cannot even lay a finger on us. In our battle with sin, we're not able to continue sinning. Not because of our own strength and our own efforts alone, but because Jesus keeps us. Even though we might feel weak, Jesus keeps us. Jude says, he is the one who's able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless. Peter says, uh, chapter 1, verse 5, by God's power, you are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And Jesus himself says this, John chapter 10, verse 28, no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. So if you're trusting in Jesus, if you've not bought into this snuggle Christianity. Jesus will keep you. Jesus will guard you. If you like, he set himself up as, as a fortress around you that the devil can't get past. He can't get at you. And if you find that difficult to, to believe that he will keep you, think about it this way. If somebody dies for you, 
you know they are fully committed to you, don't you? Jesus has died for you, so of course he's going to keep you. We'll sing uh, in a moment. Uh, No power of hell, no scheme of man will ever pluck me uh, from his hand. John says, you know, real Christians don't keep sinning. And you can know it because Jesus will keep you. That's how it's going to be possible. That's real Christianity. So don't buy into what's false. Well, let's move on to uh, verse 19. And the second thing John says we already know. Have a look uh, at verse 19 with me. He says, we know that we are children of God. And the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Here's the second thing we already know. You already know you are God's children. Now, imagine for a moment you were one of these Christians back then. And uh, these false teachers had been part of the evening service congregation. uh, And they'd taken a whole bunch of people up the road, uh, maybe to the other end of London Road or to the other end of town. And they'd set up uh, another church Uh, that said, come and snuggle with sin on its board outside. Uh, You've got two churches, one at each end of town. Both of them are claiming that they're God's people. So you can imagine some of these Christians saying, well, who is uh, the real Christian? Who really is God's? Well, John says, you already know you're God's children. And he says, did you notice, you know because there's a really big difference between you and the rest of the world. Did you see the contrast in the verse between God's people and the rest of the world? The whole world is described as being under the control of the evil one, under the control of the devil. Now, if you're under the control of somebody, uh, you submit to their rule. You do what they say. And that's what the world does. They're slaves Uh, to Satan. Satan, if you like, has firmly got them in his grip. Uh, They're snuggling with sin rather than struggling with sin. John Stott puts it like this. He says, they're not struggling actively to be free from sin, but quietly lying, perhaps even unconsciously asleep in the arms of Satan. But then compare that picture with the picture we've just been given of Jesus protecting us, guarding us. You've got one who's held tightly in the controlling hand of Satan, and then you've got the other which is held tightly in Jesus' hand so that Satan cannot even lay a finger. Well, how do we know which hand we're in? We've already mentioned that the difference is whether we're Snuggling with sin, uh, or struggling with sin, really. But it's also helpful to remember those three tests that we've been thinking about in 1 John. Uh, We've said it before, these are uh, more evidence tests, if you like, rather than entrance uh, exams into the Christian faith. Uh, You might like to think of them working a little bit like uh, a test that you've done at school. Take uh, the test for helium, that's about one of the only ones I can remember from science. Uh, But when you've stopped mucking about with the splints and you actually get on with the experiment, uh, playing around with Bunsen burners and things, you you take a test tube full of helium uh, and you put a lit splint of wood in it. And if it's got helium in it, you'll hear a popping sound. 
Now, the pop doesn't make the test tube have helium in it. But it proves that the test tube was the one with helium in it. Can you see the difference? The pop doesn't make the test tube have helium in it, but it proves that helium is really in it. Now, John's three tests are like that. They prove, they don't make us Christians, sorry, but they prove that we are genuine. Importantly, they prove that we're not in Satan's grasp. So let me remind you of them. The first one was the moral test. It was all about our behavior. We read uh, in chapter 2, verse 3, uh, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Then there's the social test, uh, which is all about our relationships with other Christians, really. Chapter 4, verse 14. We know that we've passed out of life, into, uh, out of death into life, because we love the brothers. And then finally, the doctrinal test, which is about what we believe. That was last week, chapter 5, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So if we do these tests on ourselves, if our faith is producing obedience to God, if there's love for other Christians, and perhaps most crucially, if our belief is in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, then we can be confident that we're not under the power of Satan. Instead, we're firmly held in Jesus' hand as one of his children. Now, like I said earlier, we can do those tests on ourselves. We can't expect to find sinless perfection. But we should see some evidence, and increasingly over time, more evidence. It'll become more obvious, hopefully, to you. There'll be more assurance that you really are a child of God. Notice, though, there's only two groups, aren't there? There's no fence to sit on. You will be on one, in one hand, or the other. I wonder which one you're in. But John says to these unsure Christians, you, you already know, you can already know you are God's children. You know which camp you're in. If you're struggling with sin, rather than snuggling up with it, if you come out positively in those tests, you know you are God's child. And so you should be able to walk out of church this evening absolutely assured that you are one of God's children. Or perhaps on the other hand, you have absolutely no assurance that you are God's child. There's only two groups, but John says that you know you are God's children. Well, finally, our final assurance is in verse 20, and it says, and it's this, you already know you have understanding and eternal life through Jesus. You already know you have understanding and eternal life through Jesus Christ. Have a look at verse 20. It says, we know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, even his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. We've thought about one aspect of this false Christianity these uh, guys were selling, selling, but the other idea was, alongside it was that there was some kind of hidden knowledge about God 
that you could only reach if you were super spiritual, if you were spiritual enough. They had a kind of two-tier system of Christianity. They had a championship where Derby County Christians would be uh, like me, and then you would have a premiership Christianity where teams for the time being like Chelsea uh, are. They said there was a standard Christian, but there was also a super spiritual level for super spiritual Christians. And, and you had to reach that. You had to be promoted to truly know God. Now, often, although not always at all, you'll find that kind of thinking around today in churches that use language of being a spirit-filled church. Not always. But immediately that language sounds super spiritual, doesn't it? Now, don't hear me uh, wrong at all. Uh, I'm not against uh, candles. Uh, I'm not against gentle music while people pray. Uh, I'm not against people uh, closing their eyes while they sing or swaying or anything else like that. But in my experience of Christian gatherings those things often accompany the the kind of idea that there is some kind of extra level that we've got to reach if we're to truly connect with God. Perhaps uh, you've been in a Christian uh, union meeting, college, or perhaps in university, uh, or a large Christian gathering where some Christians seem to be experiencing what we might call super spiritual stuff. Maybe somebody speaks uh, in tongues, Perhaps somebody says they've had a word from God or a vision. Maybe somebody else prays and their prayer uh, seems to heal somebody instantly. Those things may well happen. But it can seem, can't it, that those people have got some kind of broadband connection to God, whereas the rest of us are on dial-up. Cypher, if you want to know what dial-up is, (laughs) sit with somebody older than you at dinner time. As another little side note, it's interesting, isn't it, that churches that promote that kind of thinking often fail to have their Bibles open, engaging with what we know God to have said through Jesus, through the apostles. The impact is this, though. When others pursue and they they promote that kind of thinking, you can think that you need that kind of experience. You need to be promoted to Premier League Christianity. Or perhaps worse, uh, you doubt that you know God at all. John says to us, though, you've already been given understanding. You already know God through Jesus Christ. The Jesus that the apostles saw, that they touched, uh, that they heard, that they've been proclaiming to us and that they've written about uh, in the New Testament gives us full understanding of God. Jesus doesn't reveal God a little bit to us. He reveals him fully. And through him, we can have full fellowship with God. Jesus has made it possible for us uh, to know God the Father. And he doesn't just mean information, no information about God. He's made it possible for us to know him personally. Through his death, our sins uh, can be forgiven. And like we've heard, like we hear most weeks, don't we, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just 
and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so through Jesus, we can have, and we do already have, fellowship with God. We already have eternal life. There isn't a Premier League Christianity or a super spiritual level that we've got to reach. We mustn't buy uh, the lie that there is. What we need to know is what we already know about Jesus, what we already have in Jesus. If we're connected with him, we're already connected fully uh, with God. So John says, remember what you already know. Go back uh, to that diamond for a moment. Think of the great cost it would be to most of us in this room to invest heavily in a diamond that we knew that was fake. Now think how foolish it would be if you were to buy a fake Christianity with a fake God that you knew was fake. It would cost you eternally. Now we live uh, in a world, don't we, and we're part of a church that sells fake versions of Christianity with fake gods. And John says, in the midst of all that, remember what you know is real. Know so you can identify and spot what's fake. And crucially, this is how he ends his letter, avoid fake Christianity with fake gods. He says, doesn't he, right at the end, did you spot it? It's an odd way to end a letter, we might think. But perhaps now it makes sense. John says in verse 21, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Remember what you already know and keep yourselves from idols. I think that is how we keep ourselves from idols, by remembering what we already know. Not abandoning what the apostles have taught us about Jesus, but sticking with it. Now, as we close um, this evening and as we close 1 John, we need to keep ourselves from this message of a fake Christianity and a fake God. John's loving instruction is, remember what you already know so that you can do that. Don't ditch uh, what the apostles have taught you. Don't ditch the real God uh, for a fake. Keep yourselves uh, from idols. It's interesting, isn't it, that John tells the church, the whole church, to do this. Now, we haven't got time tonight to think about how we might apply that. But why not be brave over dinner and start a conversation with those around you and perhaps have a think about how, together, we can help one another keep from these fake versions of Christianity and fake gods that will not give us uh, eternal life. Let's uh, pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through the Lord Jesus and through the apostles' teaching. We thank you that we can know that we know you. We thank you that we can know that we know what real Christianity looks like. 
And we pray that you would help us to help one another remember what we already know, not to move from it. We pray that you'd help us to help one another to keep ourselves from any kind of false Christianity with any kind of false God behind it. And we pray it so that we wouldn't make any eternally costly decisions. And we pray too through the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who promises to guard us and keep us. Amen.